Welcome to SickCast, brought to you by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path. Introducing Pega Megoya, Expression of Love, new translations of a selection of guzzles from Painandlal Goya. Today's podcast begins with the recitation of Painandlal's guzzle in Persian, followed by a new English transcreation, the result of a unique collaboration between Dr. Fatima Fayaz and Dr. Nadra Khan of Lahore University of Management Sciences, Damanpreet Singh, writer and graduate student, and Inikor of Sikri. Followed by a discussion between Daman and Inni about the beauty of the guzzle and the transcreation process. بعد در پیش رخت شرمنده است بلکه خورشید جهان هم بنده است چشم ما هرگز به غیر از حق ندید ای خوشا چشمی که حق بیننده است ما نمیلافیم از زهد و ریا گر گنهکاریم حق بخشنده است دیگری را از کجا آریم ما شور در عالم یکی افکنده است حرف غیر از حق نیاید هیچگاه بر لب گویا که حق بخشنده است Before your face, even the full moon is embarrassed. Rather, the sun of the universe too is a slave. Our eyes witness nothing but the truth divine. Oh, fortunate is the eye that beholds the divine. Neither do we flaunt piety, nor do we indulge in hypocrisy. If we are sinners, the divine is the forgiver. From where would we bring another? The world reverberates with echoes of oneness. Nothing is ever uttered except truth divine by the lips of Goya, as the divine is the forgiver. Guru Fateji, this is Eni Kaur in conversation with Damanpreet Singh. On Ghazal number eight from Painandlal's collection, Devane Goya. Welcome, Daman. I am so looking forward to our conversation today. But you know, Daman, before we begin um, talking about the Ghazal, I want to share a passage. Actually, I want to read a passage that I came across and thought it would be interesting to share this with our listeners. And I'd love to hear your take on this as well. So, um, Here, here we go. Perhaps the most significant challenge of translating classical Persian poetry is the density of meaning in the original. Drawing on the vocabulary of Sufism, the traditions of ancient Persia, the imagery of Arabic literature, classical Persian poetry developed a distinctive style very early in its history. This idiom's most important features are the diversity of meanings, layers of references, and a persuasive symbolism understandable only to the initiated. Daman, the understandable only to the initiated. What do you make of that? Yeah, this is great because I think that For listeners who haven't listened to the previous episodes, we talked in the discussion on Ghazal 2 about how scholars have argued that Bainantlal was really appropriating this very complicated and, you know, a poetry style with a very, very long history and was speaking back to people who would have known this literature. That's like what the mainstream scholarship has been suggesting, that it was very much him writing to the initiated mm-hmm. um, insofar as he was trying to make an argument to people who would have been immersed in you know, Sufism or the traditions of ancient, ancient Persia, as this person is putting it. 
And what's really interesting, I think, from the contemporary point of view and from a Sikh point of view, is that there is no sense really of an initiated, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, I think it is a very sick point of view to think, you know, everything is accessible to anyone as long as you, you know, have the time and you put in the work and it's it's there for you. You know, the text reveals itself to you in its meanings. Um, so that I think is something that we've been trying to do through these discussions. The team that's working on these guzzles, you know, as we've talked about in the past, has a wide range of expertise. We have Fatima, who is a scholar of Persian literature, so she knows the symbolism and the traditions of ancient Persia, etc. We have Nadra, who is an art historian and has a background, a deep background in South Asian history. Um, and then there's also the Sikh angle and the specifics of his references to Gurbani and so forth. Um, so it's interesting because I think through Bainanthal's guzzles, we might have another sense of the initiated. And I think that sense might just be anyone who has the time and patience to think with him and to feel with him can understand what he's saying. You know, as you know, if you're willing to do a little bit of research, you're willing to think a little bit closely with each word and each line, as we've tried to do over the past year, um, you are able to understand what he's getting at. Um, so it is interesting because it is, of course, we've we've dealt with this in previous episodes, but he is taking a classical form that has rules and expectations and has a particular form and playing with it and also showing his mastery of it. So I think in these discussions, we're trying to demonstrate both of those things. You made excellent points, Daman, but for me, it is you know, when I read only to the initiated, I would probably try have added only to the seeker mm-hmm. because it's the seeker who then delves into and goes through and finds everything and wants to know what is being said because mm-hmm. the intensity to for that longing and that journey is so high. So I want to begin with the first couplet, um, Daman, and let me just read those two lines and then we'll talk about it because I found a great deal of symbolism in there and I want to speak to it about that symbolism, what it means, because unless we don't understand that, we truly cannot appreciate uh, these two lines. So before your face, the full moon is embarrassed, rather the son of the universe too is a slave. So in in the classical poetry, Persian poetry, moon, chand, that metaphor is extraordinary. It somehow, you know, manages to encompass every idea, every emotion, feeling, longing, desire, passion, love, even scorn, heartache, pain that lights up in the eyes of the beholder. You know, the moon is never that cold fire that consumes its lover from within. It is the moon that soothes us. We speak to it. It is there, you know, for a lover, for a seeker. The moon has that emphasis. And then, and it's a she. It's always referred to as she in Persian poetry. Interestingly, in Persian literature, the sun is the male. And the sun is idealized as that life-giving force. It is that universal symbol of cosmic power and is associated with the ancient Iranian god of light. So here we have two very powerful symbols. And we are saying, but before these two powerful things, your face is, you know, they are embarrassed. Mm. So what must be that face? Yeah. Yeah, thanks for bringing that in because I think that is really important for, again, understanding the full meaning of the images he's drawing on. And of course, I think at another level, um, this is a theme we've seen in his guzzles where he is drawing on this classical imagery for the beloved. Mm-hmm. to refer to his connection to the guru 
Mm -hmm. And it's constantly, you know, the the classic image is, of course, that, like, even in the face of all the breath of the universe, it's you and it's only your face. Yeah, we're once again seeing how he's invoking the breath of the universe, the magic of the full moon, right, the force of the sun to convey his love for the beloved in a really intimate and powerful but also vast way. And he says it right in the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, he begins with that. And this is what I love about poetry. It's, you know, it's one of the most beautiful and refined verbal expression that human brings in all cultures use. Mm-hmm. And it carries such images and meanings. And, you know, for those who walk on that spiritual path, they seek a more profound sense inside poetry because there are multiple layers. It's veiled. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can see from these two lines, you know, there are multiple dimensions to like every two verses, every verse. And as the seekers, um, seeker ripens, as their understanding ripens, and the deeper the relationship, they find greater depth in it. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, Daman, you know, every kind of love or any kind of love that we experience in our lives eventually points to divine love Mm -hmm. because that love is so um, pure in this. Now, I don't want to use, it's so giving. It is so vast that that's what it is. So I come to the um, second couplet. Our eyes witness nothing but the truth divine. Or fortunate is the eye that beholds the divine. And it's interesting, Daman, you know, uh, because we use the word, because we've translated the word Huck for truth divine. And when I read it in, when we read it, when I read it in Persian, it was immediately when I heard the word Huck, my mind went to Mansur. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when he said, Ana Huck, I mm-hmm. am the truth, uh, which was, he was hung for it. Mm-hmm. Right? Because how dare you call yourself God, mm-hmm. that was the that was the 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 understanding and very much the pronouncement. But you know, he was probably I don't know what he was thinking. But it is when you you know get when you rise above your ego mm-hmm. and uh, are experiencing something so great that you have experienced the truth, mm-hmm. that hug, that place, and then of course you know you, we know the story. He was hung for it mm-hmm. um, what are your thoughts about this word yeah so this is a new word as far as the puzzles we've discussed so far and the various forms in which Bainantal has referred to the divine of course in the previous we've seen Bainantal refer to the divine as his beloved mm-hmm. and now we're seeing So there's, I think, a couple of things that are kind of interesting here. The first being that in this puzzle, if looking at this puzzle as a whole, we don't, the first couplet refers directly to you, to the guru or to the divine. Mm -hmm. Then we switch to Huck. And now in the remaining couplets, we'll see the divine referred to as Huck. And as you noted, Huck in Persian means truth, in this context, it's specifically kind of the ultimate truth. You know, that was a translation we played with in our conversations. Truth with the capital T. Mm-hmm. We really settled on truth hyphen divine to demonstrate that this huck is actually pointing to an attribute of the divine and is being used not simply to mean divine for all of its meanings, but specifically the capital T truth that forms part of one force, forms part of however we want to refer to the guru, divine, etc. So I guess there's two things that are kind of interesting. One is that there is a reference to Mansud, as you're pointing out, in the, mm-hmm. that will actually come up again. So in the next podcast, we'll talk about that more at length because he actually invokes Mansud. Mm-hmm. So he directly referring to this 
story, this is again one of those moments where we can imagine who his audience would have been because he is engaging something that would have been in their vernacular and in their understanding. Um, and then the other thing is that we, I think, are getting a sense by this scuzzle of the various ways in which he will describe his relationship to the divine. You know, we've seen him talk very powerfully about eyes before. In the previous, it was mm-hmm. the eyes that shed pearls or tears. Mm-hmm. And it's the eye that's witnessing or the eye that's beholding the truth divine or the divine. Um, so I think that was another part of this that is very powerful, is that we're beginning to understand some of the ways in which he's going to conceive of or that he experiences his relationship to the divine. Hmm. You know, when I look, oh, fortunate is the eye that beholds the divine. And if I translate, if I just say it in simple Punjabi, kushkismat mm-hmm. o ak. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. who can recognize your beauty, who can recognize your divinity. Mm-hmm. So I love that word, Kushkismat. Mm-hmm. And that's why fortunate and Kushkismat looked, you know, sounded. I, I don't know if fortunate has that, even that word of Kushkismat in it. Yeah, and this was also a conversation that we had during the you know, as we were doing the translation with Fatima and Nadra, because in Persian it's khush, which Mm -hmm. if we were to translate, like you're saying, if we were translating that in kind of everyday speech, we would maybe say happy. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is a a question, right? Because it would be maybe slightly different to say, oh, happy is the eye that beholds the the divine. if you're happy, I suppose you're also fortunate, but that maybe takes us in another direction, right? That is our interpretation as right, as right. of us. So that is something that readers and listeners might, you know, take issue with, and that would be fine. Um, but yeah, I think it's, and then here we also see kind of the way in which He's, and I think this is a theme that will develop throughout this puzzle. So maybe we want to talk about it more with other couplets. But there is a way in which he is kind of trying to, you know, in previous, in other. So I think we're, I think I'm, I guess I should talk about just from my own perspective. But I'm, try, I'm beginning to see the many, many different ways in which he relates to the divine. And, you know, we have that great line in the previous where he was saying, you know, sometimes Zahid, sometimes Susan. Yes, 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 yes. There's a way in which there's there's many colors to the way in which he experiences the divine. And here it's the eye witnessing truth Mm. rather than the, you know, him looking at the the angel-faced beloved right you know where we right. have a physical description and here we're abstracted and we're thinking about capital t truth so you know how to think about that complexity i think is another interesting question hmm. so we move on to couplet number three mm-hmm. neither do we flaunt piety nor do we indulge in hypocrisy if we are sinners the divine is the forgiver Mm-hmm. So, Daman, you know, what do you think Goya is stating here? Does it read as if he he is highly confident of his relationship? Mm-hmm. Because to say, I know I'm a sinner, mm-hmm. but I know you are the forgiver. Mm-hmm. You know, so there, I've just laid it out. Yeah, this was an interesting line because I think it really was quite difficult mm-hmm. um, to translate because it's not entirely clear, even in the original Persian, what he's trying to say. Um, So maybe we can go through, like, for example, the first line, neither do we flaunt piety, nor do we indulge in hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. Um, If we take some time to look at the specifics of that line in the original Persian. So first, the first thing is that zod orea, which is how we've translated piety and hypocrisy, respectively, 
were quite difficult to translate because we have, and again, this is where it comes in, where there's multiple references with each word that one could think about forever, right? But we have the word zud, which does mean, generally means piety or devotion was another way in which we translated it. So that one was relatively straightforward. But then rea either means devotion or it can also mean hypocrisy, which on the face of it are two different things. Mm-hmm. And as Fatima explained to us in a line from Rumi, he has this formulation of Zodorea together, and he's using it to refer to both piety and devotion, right? They're both kind of positive things, and they're kind of positive ways in which one might associate with the divine. And then she explained to us that in a line from Hafez, we actually get the same formulation, but in his line, he's using these words to critique kind of religious people or pious people who actually are, you know, he has a line that I'm going, I'm not going to translate it exactly, but, you know, we could go back to the original, but there's a line in the Persian where he kind of is saying that the fire of Zodorea, the fire of piety, kind of in destroys one's actual devotion to the divine, right? So this kind of hypocritical piety or this like performative piety mm-hmm. that putting on as a show for the world actually destroys one's ability to connect with the divine. So he's actually using these words to critique kind of so-called religious people. Mm-hmm. So what was complicated here is that we have a word rea, that could actually mean two opposite things. It could either mean devotion in kind of a positive way, or it can mean hypocrisy, or it can mean kind of hypocritical devotion, perhaps, right? We don't, it's, right. Hard, to know, it's hard to know exactly how he wants to use these words. And then the other complicated thing here is that we, you know, we weren't sure, okay, so why is he putting Zod or together? if one means piety or devotion quite straightforwardly and the other one is kind of complicated and can mean both, is he, mean, is he saying that they're the same thing and he's using a synonym or is he saying that they're opposites and that's why he's put them together in the line? So this was a quite a complicated line. And I think, you know, we can safely say that, you know, no one is going to say, you know, not, none of the four of us is going to say, like, this is the only way one can interpret it. But I think we feel pretty good about where we've settled. But I think it seemed to us, and I think it seems to me still, that he's kind of using both these words to critique so-called religious people, kind of how Hafiz was doing. You know, we don't flaunt piety or indulge in hypocrisy. And he's kind of, I think, saying that one's condition is necessarily that of a sinner mm-hmm. because one is not truth with a capital T. And he's, I think, suggesting that that's fine because Huck, truth divine, which we've translated here just as divine, will ultimately be the one that's forgiving and is ultimately all that there is. Mm. I know. Um, I listened to what you've said, um, but I looked at it in in a slightly different way, and say and said, you know, it really doesn't matter what I am and who I am. I know, even if I'm a sinner, you are the forgiver. It's basically just acknowledging your own um, shortcomings. Mm-hmm. And it's that relationship to me, that intensity of that relationship, because you can only say that to someone where you have a deep relationship mm-hmm. with that. It really doesn't matter who I am, what I am. I know you will accept me. Mm-hmm. I know you will forgive me. That's that unconditional love that mm-hmm. comes through for me in this couplet. Mm-hmm. So Fatima kind of explained to us that if she were to translate this in kind of everyday language, kind of straying away a little bit from the literal, knowing what she knows of how Rumi deployed these words and how Hafiz deployed these words. 
she was kind of telling us that for Rumi, when he was talking about Zudaria, he was kind of saying, you know, I've never said that I'm pious or devoted or a religious person. Um, so there is this, there is a dimension of kind of irony with which these words are used. So we've tried to convey that irony. So I think Nantala is maybe saying something similar, right? Neither do we flaunt piety nor do we indulge in hypocrisy. He's perhaps critiquing kind of so-called religious people, but also kind of saying that I've never said I'm a religious person or I've never said that I'm pious in kind of a capital R religious way. Um, so that's ultimately kind of how we decided to interpret this line. Um, but as we've said before, right, this is this was a very, very complicated line. It took, you know, weeks of, you know, Fatima thinking about it, going back to the Rumi and Hafiz and looking at various dictionaries for us to get there, um, which I think is important for, again, the richness of the line and the richness of each, each word that Nantanal uses. Um, but that's kind of how we're getting to the translation we've settled on. So we move to couplet number four, which is really interesting, Daman. From where would we bring another? The world reverberates with echoes of oneness. Mm -hmm. Is this a rhetorical question? And, you know, oneness, explain oneness. I mean, I want to hear that Farsi. It was it's what he's written in Farsi. Yeah, this was another kind of complicated one for us to work through because we did move quite a bit from the literal translation when we settled on the world's reverberates with echoes of oneness. Why, yeah, so I think my interpretation of this line, of this couplet rather, is that there's, so I do think that their first line seems rhetorical, from where would we bring another? And I think in the second line, he's trying to convey a sense of like, there's like a sense of like, the world is kind of closed, right? Like I'm imagining like a closed room, kind of like an echo chamber mm -hmm. where you can't leave. And there's, you know, just everything is bouncing off the walls and reverberating and echoing, right? And I think that, so in the original, if we were to do a line by line translation, shur means kind of noise or like chaos mm -hmm. in the world. Alam is the original word, but kind of, so the line would perhaps be something about kind of the noise in the world is just kind of thrown around. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I'm curious to think through with you what he's saying here, but my interpretation currently is that He's kind of saying that there is nothing, there is no other, right? There's nothing but Huck. There's nothing but capital T truth divine, even if we might not recognize that. But that is the flow of the world in which we are in. Mm -hmm. And there is actually, yeah, you know, so yeah, so I think he's maybe he's trying to work, you know, there is no, if there is no other, there is no other place from from where to bring one's divine or one's capital T truth or beloved because it is just the world that the world. So that's the other complicated thing. It's alam here, which is world, mm -hmm. universe, which often he'll use to refer to like the vastness beyond the temporal and celestial that his beloved encompasses. But here he is using the word world or alam which is very much you know the earthly realm or whatever so i'm interested to hear what you think because i do think this is a line that i'm like really intrigued by but also i'm not quite sure about so talk about about this word oneness let's focus on that first what is it in farsi and the, give us the original and then break it down and how we chose oneness yeah um it's the one, yeah, mm -hmm. in the Persian. So that's important. Yeah. Echoes of one, right? Ik, yeah. Ankar. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, to me, it is what, that's what, you know, in that coded way where you bring in um, something which is so dear to you, dear to you. So from where would we bring another? I mean, he's already uh, 
saying because in the entire universe it is the one that is vibrating mm-hmm. is the one that is echoing there is no other and that is very much that sick thought the sick principle of ikumkar the oneness the ik you know the numeral ik mm-hmm. that is it so here for me it was a very clear statement of what he's saying because where would we bring another you you know if you are if we are sinners you're the divine you're the forgiver and everything around me is the one mm-hmm. is echoing with that oneness mm-hmm. so this to me was quite uh, what was quite clear because of that ik mm-hmm. you know, it's it's how, and and this is where uh, you know you the memories that you carry mm-hmm. from where you come from the perspective mm-hmm. that changes maybe somebody else will not read so much about into that one into yep. that ik but for me it is very powerful so then when we move to the now the last couplet couplet number 5 and uh, nothing is ever uttered except truth divine by the lips of goya as the divine is the forgiver now between you and i daman if i was to try transcribe these two lines it would be something like this says goya my lips only voice your name for you are the only forgiver mm-hmm. and here lies the challenge of the translation what liberties one can take mm-hmm. with this but i am actually really partial to my translation <laughs> i have to be honest because it speaks to me because i can literally hear, you know i can literally feel goya said yeah. may my lips only voice your name mm-hmm. mere you know on my lips tadai na rabe you know may my that name only stay on my lips mm-hmm. because ultimately you are the forgiver mm-hmm. for that reason and so that's why i am passionate to those lines of mine mm-hmm. but your thoughts yeah so this is kind of an interesting thing that i don't think we've discussed yet on the podcast but guya in persian means utterer or one who speaks and that was his pen name from when he first started writing poetry as a young child um and so there's for every one of these last couplets where he's kind of using his pen name as one does in the ghazal style um one could translate guya as utter and that would change the interpretation of the last lines for each ghazal because you one wouldn't be thinking about goya as the name but it would actually mm-hmm. part of the structure of the line. Mm-hmm. So that is interesting here because I think that he is playing with this knowledge this kind of double meaning of his name because we played a little bit in the conversations that we had with not actually saying goya in the English but actually translating the word and it might have said something right like the utter the lips of the utter the utter or the speaker utters the name or utters nothing but the name of truth divine something like that right we would actually have the subject of the line be different mm-hmm. but here the subject of the line is non-existent right nothing is ever uttered except truth divine and i think that's what your translation is getting at because it, we know that it is goya speaking and it is right this him in some ways it fe- always feels like that these last lines are him talking to himself and reminding himself of something or you know sending a message to himself in a very intimate way um so i think yeah i think i mean i yeah so that's something a decision we made is to kind of have the the first line in this last couplet be third person mm-hmm. um in the persian and again i guess this is another one of the challenges of translation because if one were a persian speaker one would recognize that complexity immediately so you know how can we convey that in english if at all 
And this was kind of our way in which to try to get, get at that. Um, what I think that is interesting though, is that, so in the translation for the couplet five, that the four of us settled on, we have truth divine. So in the original, he is using Huck again, but we have truth divine. Nothing is ever uttered except truth divine. And then we have by the lips of Goya as the divine is the forgiver, um, which you've turned into your name and you. Mm -hmm. um, so that I think is another question, right? Like what is the significance of the way in which we translate divine in the multitude of ways in which he talks about the divine mm -hmm. and is it always important to be as like specific and like loyal to the original or is it sometimes actually more important to stray away a little bit from the original to convey some sort of meaning I think is a question that we've asked ourselves but is a question that I'm still I don't think there's like a a right answer, but that's a question I, I'm interested in. And of course, the other interesting thing that the last thing I'll say is that we once again have divine as the forgiver here, right? Mm -hmm. um, and in the in the Persian, it's exactly it's written exactly the same way as in the previous couplet in couplet three. Um, so we once again are seeing him working through the divine as being this figure that forgives. Any thoughts on this guzzle as we're coming to the end of it, Berman, do you have? Because it is slightly different from the previous two which we have done. I mean, I think this guzzle makes me think of kind of it seems to flow, and I think in some ways it's hard not to think in this way, but also this is perhaps okay. But it seems to flow from kind of the the thought he expresses in couplet one, where, you know, the, the kind of powerful and famous line that there was no sign from the universe or from no sign from sky nor earth, mm. but love for you. That brought me into... Bandagi, reverence bondage. Now, I probably messed up the exact words that we settled on for this one, but that, that good, that wonderful first couplet. But it seems to me that, and maybe this is just me like projecting my own things onto Bainantala, but it does seem to me that each of the each of the guzzles that that come after guzzle one tries to is is kind of struggling with that idea, right? That is, there is no, it is just love. There's no sign from sky nor earth. There's no other. It is something that comes from within because the guru or the divine is actually not distinct mm. or separate from me. And it seems to me that this puzzle is kind of trying to work that out in some ways. Because there is, there is this sense that he is witnessing the truth divine, beholding the divine. There's a way in which I think this guzzle is really thinking about kind of what kind of the what divine love is, which seems in some ways to be kind of unalienated love, love that's not separate from oneself, even as I think the experience of being in the world is to experience oneself as one's body and everything else as one's other. So I am always kind of curious about that, um, especially the line about kind of where would we bring another, the world reverberates with echoes of oneness. Um, you know, all he's able to utter is truth divine in some ways that there is really nothing yeah. else. Um, yeah, you know that high state of love is where you see the one in everything, in everyone, and there is no other. You know what else can I say? But you, because wherever I see, I yeah. see you. So that is that. Uh, yeah. You know that is that stage of when in, you are imbued in that love. You see that love everywhere, and this is you know 
so that. You know, I came across them and um, a couple of nights ago, I was reading Puran Singh. And this is Professor Puran Singh. And I want to share something which um, I was reading about, and it mentioned Painandlal. So I said, I've got to share this with you. So here we go. This is by Professor Puran Singh, and it's from the book Spirit of the Sick, part one. The moth dies seeing the light it loves. The woman is dead forever in the chosen beloved of her heart. By Nandalal, the poet and scholar, went to Anandpur to meet Guru Gobind Singh. One glance from the Guru was enough. The bee went deep and slept in the rare fragrance of the white lotus. Pai Nandlal never left the presence after. I mean, it's exquisite. It's beyond exquisite. <laughs> but you know how neurotic I am about Puran Singh. So, but for me, this is just, uh, you know, the woman is dead forever in the chosen beloved of her heart, which is so true. I'm kind of curious about that. How how do you interpret this? The woman is because in Gurbani we'll often see this idea, right? This has come up, I think. This is something that I've noticed somewhat recently, but there is sometimes this idea of like one who's dead while alive, right? Who is, is yeah. So I'm curious, what is your interpretation? And I, whenever I see that, I'm always like, what does this mean? And you know, I mean, and honestly, uh, the feminist would scream with what I'm going to say, literally scream. So I don't know, <laughs> but it is that love where you just, is the total surrender. You are no more. You literally are no more. And you are, and you are just immersed in that beloved, in that heart. So basically you want to look like the beloved. You want to take on that color, uh, the face, the attributes, and literally it's that merges that you are no more. It is exactly the love which is hidden Ranja. They said, mm-hmm. you know, they, there's that total oneness. Mm-hmm. There is no separation. And this is what uh, in this couplet also in this guzzle is also there is no other. In that love, there is that total unity when you actually merge. It is you want your the breath to be that breath. Mm-hmm. You want what you see to be what your lover, your beloved sees. You want to eat what your beloved eats. You actually become non-existent. Mm-hmm. And that's that death. In that death is that merger, that union. Because in that dying, you have experienced vastness does yeah. that make sense is to experience the vastness there ha- there needs to be death death mm-hmm. because the beloved is so vast that you are entering that vastness mm-hmm. that does make a lot of sense and i think yeah whenever i see it in a shabbat or whatever i'm always kind of like well i don't understand that um but I think that does make sense. And I think it in the in the context of this passage that you've shared, um, right, um, you know, two lines after the woman, the woman is dead forever in the chosen beloved of her heart. We have one glance from the guru was enough. Mm. That went deep and slept in the rare fragrance of the white lotus. So there is something interesting. Because first of all, it's, one glance from the guru was enough is a translation that he's actually taking from Bainantalal from, um, I want to say, Kuzzle 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one life enriching, where I don't remember exactly what we've settled on at this point, but whatever, one right life enriching glance was enough. Um, so that is, I think, yeah, he's clearly immersed in Bainantalal. Um at at the level of you know preferring to him kind of through the through this kind of tra- unmediated translation which i think is really wonderful 
Um, but it does seem to me that, yeah, I think this idea that it is just kind of a moment or a glance or just the kind of the character of one's longing for the guru does seem to be like un- like a, an endless union, right? It's just but a it's glance. Like a glance, a glimpse, oh. something quick, like just a taste. Oh, and it's enough. It changes your entire life. It is just a moment, a blink of an eye. It is a glance. It really is just that. And that's which I sometimes say, meher, but it is not even meher, because grace is all around. It is that experience Mm -hmm. of that moment when you know something incredible has taken place and you've experienced something which you cannot convey, but you know it is so profound that it has changed your life. Yeah, and I think this is important because it is, again, right, not a sign from sky nor earth, but actually love for you. Um, so I've been reading Bandagi Nama by, um, by Rugbir Singh mm-hmm. in the English translation. And there's two things that he says um, towards the beginning that I've been thinking about kind of this week. The first is that he kind of is trying to work through um, the experience of reading Gurbani, and he says something like something like the supposed contradictions in Gurbani or something like that is the title subtitle of the section. And he says, you know, how do you make sense of the fact that like sometimes you'll get a Shabbat that says one thing and then sometimes you'll get a Shabbat that says something that seems to be its opposite. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, it's all of it is true, right? This idea of truth again, but not all of it is going, you're not going to understand everything at one moment. Yes. And his kind of approach was, you know, he kind of says something like, when a Shabbat really resonated with me, I took that as a signal that this is the this is what I need right now to help me on my journey. Because this is what is makes sense to me or, you know, is having an impact on me in some way. And that I found really helpful because, again, this, you know, the dead while alive thing, right? You know, I'll see it sometimes and be like, well, I have no idea what that means. And I don't know what to do with this. And that can be like quite a jarring experience. So that was really helpful because he kind of was like, you know, whatever is resonating is meant to resonate in that moment. Right. I mean, when I do, when I work with transcreating the Shabbats, sometimes, many times, not sometimes, many times, when I think I would like to work, I would like to understand the Shabbat, at a deeper level, and I begin working, and I'm saying, I don't have that capacity. There are many that I have just let go because I don't have that understanding right now. I don't feel it. I don't experience it. That thought is not there. And I I fully well know that I am not ready for it. Mm -hmm. And so I leave it Mm -hmm. and say, May I have that capacity? May I come to this understanding so I can come back to this? Mm-hmm. And that's that, you know, that's that growth that it may come in a blink of an eye, it may come through an experience, it may come through different things, and it may not come at all. Mm-hmm. And that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's and that's that uh, you know, that moment where you are comfortable with yourself that feeling what what you are talking about is this is what I need right now in my journey and I embrace it fully. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to struggle with something which I cannot understand, which is beyond me. Can I just understand this? Can I embrace this fully? Can it resonate within me? Mm -hmm. And then maybe this will help me Mm -hmm. in the next one, Mm -hmm. in the next Shabbat that I'm struggling with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I think sometimes yeah. it becomes about, I mean, I think we live in a culture where we're expected to kind of be experts or master things. Right? Oh, and it becomes very yeah. difficult. I mean, for me, it's been very difficult, especially as I'm, you know, in academia or whatever, where one is expected always to know the answers, um, Yeah, which is just not the way the world works, I think. Um, yeah. But the other thing that I was I was just reminded of from Bantagi Nama when you were reading the Purin Singh, is he has a bit 
where he's talking about this experience of kind of frustration, you know, this longing for some sort of being dead forever in the chosen beloved of one's heart or however we want to describe it. Um, But he says something, he says, when we're dead, tired and broken and helpless, our thoughts revert to flashes of bliss experienced during the separated state of our mind. Mm-hmm. That there is always this idea that one glance truly is enough to sustain one, even yes. if we're exhausted by living. In the yep. world. I can vouch for that. <laughs> truly. <laughs> it is that just one glance that changes your life and says, no matter what it is, I will walk because that was enough. Yeah. And I will do anything and everything for it to happen again. Or maybe it does, but that one was enough. Mm -hmm. That one was enough. It would be blessed to be living in that ecstasy. I don't know what it would be like, Mm -hmm. but that one is enough. So once again, Daman, this has been an interesting conversation. I know we began with Bainandla. Mm -hmm. We had Puran Singh. And then we had Rakbir saying, "Yeah, and we it is, and and that's what it is. It's just it's a flow. Yeah, it actually is a flow. There is no difference. It is just a flow of that beautiful thought. And thank you once again. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, I look forward to our next conversation. Yeah. Your thoughts before we close, Daman? Yeah, I also am looking forward to continuing the conversation." Um, and it's been also really wonderful to receive feedback from people who have been listening and joining us on this journey. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, we thank you. Thank you, everyone that has sent us emails, personal messages, via texts or whatever else. We truly appreciate it. You know, Daman and I were talking about that, that we actually just take these things for granted because we are so immersed in it. We just assume that everyone knows and we're trying really hard to say, no, we are privileged with this knowledge because we are immersed in it. And we had this wonderful team of Nadra and Fatima with us in this journey. And that is how we know what we know. And we are bringing that to, you know, to you. So, you know, if there is something in particular that you would like us to delve into a bit more, please don't hesitate um, to let us know. You can always email us at info at We'll be more than happy to try and answer your questions. So, Daman, till next time. Bye Guru Ji Ka Khalsa, Bye Guru Ji Ki Fateh. You are listening to Sick Cast by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path.